this morning I want to, uh, I guess, start something that I'm wanting to to deal with, um, just going back and really emphasizing the spiritual side, dealing with the spirit. And to do that, I need to kind of tag in from where we've been. We just come through Easter. We've talked about God is greater than. And when we got to the end of that, the last part of that, we talked about our three enemies that are coming against us uh, and, and how they attack us, the world, our flesh, and Satan himself, and, and how they work together to create chaos in our lives. So today, I want to just start something or, or tag on to something that will lead us into what I want to talk about. Isn't it amazing how we, things that we are fearful of, I always picked about the things I'm fearful of, sharks, you know, even, even though, uh, you know, it seems like that's odd in Mississippi, you're very rarely going to run into a shark, but it's still, that's just a fear. And, and, and every person in here has them, deals with them, has to embrace them. And what are we going to do with it? Because just for somebody to say, oh, you just ought not be afraid. If you're afraid to go up a ladder and somebody says, oh, it ain't going to happen. That sounds simple, but it's terrorizing going up that ladder. In America, it's, it's amazing how we have our own fears. In fact, the number one fear in America today is corrupt government. That's the number one fear that we have in the whole country. You know, everybody's talking about the government and how they're going to fix everything. And it's amazing the thing we fear the most is our government. We fear the politicians. We fear, we, we fear nearly 62% of people fear rivers and lakes and pollutions of water. Before long, we won't have any drinking water. 57% say that we're not going to have enough money when we get to our future retirement. Others fear death and, and disease. And in fact, here are some of them. 54% say they're afraid of being in a car crash. 53% says having cancer. Over 50% says I'm going to have inadequate social security. 59% say, I'm not going to have enough money at retirement. 36% say, I'm afraid of food poisoning. 35% say, I'm afraid of getting Alzheimer's. Another 34% say, I'm afraid of pesticides. 33% are afraid of being a victim of a crime. 32% uh, are afraid of their current debts. 30% are afraid of exp being exposed to germs. That's probably higher than that now. 28% are afraid of catching a major disease. 25% are afraid of natural disasters. Do you know nine out of 10 people today say that the world was a safer place when they were growing up? Some of y'all would say the same thing. The world was a much safer place when I was growing up. Four out of ten people say they're afraid to walk no more than a half mile from their own house at dark. Most people will say, I, I would not walk a half mile down the road at dark in, in my house. Think about that. Knowing most every neighbor you got, knowing everything, you still wouldn't walk a half mile. This is the world we live in where, where and some of you are like, I wouldn't walk a half mile down my road. It, it's, it, it's the world we live in. We don't have to go very far to be afraid. We don't have to think, and, and it's, it's everywhere. We're afraid to go to the doctor. We're afraid of this. We're afraid of that. And, and in our lives, 
And then this scripture comes out that just blows it away. And here's what 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, which I want to piggyback off today. Here's what it says. For God has not given us a what? So whatever fear is coming your way, whatever is is attacking you, whether it's the government or your drinking water or pesticides or or you're afraid of, 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 you know, the little bump that just came up on your hand and you're like, oh, Lord, here it is. I'm fixing it. Whatever it is you're afraid of today, God did not give it to you. God did not give you any fear. I'm afraid my wife's going to live. I'm afraid my husband's doing this. I'm afraid of this. Afraid of my kids going out. Afraid of God gave you none of them. He never gave us a spirit of fear. And I'm going to deal more with that, that spiritual side, the spirit that's been given to us versus the spirit of fear. But we've got to first deal with this fear cycle, this fear problem, before we can deal with the spiritual side. Because we have to realize we have to reject one before we can accept the other. And so rejecting fear, here's what he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You turn on your news today, you don't see any of that. Power, love, or sound minds. It's, it's just whatever's the most chaotic thing that's happening, what's the craziest thing that's happening, what, what's, what's taking place in our society, and it creates more fear. In fact, in the Bible, the lion is used many times as a symbol or an illustration to not just talk about fear, but to take it to where fear wants to go. Remember we studied that, that Satan has no power, he has no authority, he has no... But yet he is as a roaring lion. Now it doesn't say he is a roaring lion. It says Satan goes about as a roaring lion. Why? Because he doesn't have the power of the lion. He's a fake lion, but he uses the fear to create the thing that he needs. Look at the person beside you and say, what he needs from you is intimidation. We all have natural fears that we have to fight off. I have to to get in the ocean here before long when I go on vacation with my family and I got to wade out there because I'm dying at 90 degrees on the beach. So it's like either I die right here or I die out there. And, and it's like sooner or later, I'm just, I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to take my dried, burnt self and get in the water. And so at least what's left of me has been barbecued for the shark to eat. So we all have to deal with fears. We all have to deal with them. But it's when they are transposed from a fear, something that we just have to shake off or fight off and keep going to where it becomes intimidation. When the enemy can take something from fear to intimidation, now he has won the battle that he really needs to win. Because when we talk about intimidation, let me give it to you this way. The Oxford English Dictionary defines it this way. It's to render someone timid or to inspire great fear, to discourage or to suppress by threatening. In other words, what it does is the moment that fear becomes intimidation, I'm intimidated. Now all of a sudden I'm froze. I can't move. We see that in our church. We see that in our society. We see that people just pull back or they just say, I just don't want to get involved. I just want to do. Why? Because the enemy needs us more than anything else 
to be intimidated by the world that we live in. He needs us more than anything else to be intimidated by what we see on the news and intimidated by what we hear on the streets, intimidated by the last person that got shot or the last thing that happened or the last place that we went or the last spirit that we felt come upon us. Go with me to 2 Timothy 4 and 17. Let me show it to you just how the lion is used throughout Scripture to set our stage for understanding this. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Do you notice that Rome, I have a big picture called the martyrs, and it's one of my favorite pictures that, that I have in the church. And, and, and what it is, it's a guy standing there praying, other people kneeling around. And, and you can see in the Roman uh, theater, in the Colosseum, where they're raising the bottom gates. And we got to go to Rome here a short time for our 25th anniversary. And, and that was the most fascinating part to me was that now it's all the wood has rotten underneath. And so, so it's all exposed now, but used to, that's where they kept the lions and, and the different animals that would be brought up on stage to fight men and, and one or the other would die. And you can see this martyr standing there and all of a sudden they're raising the gates and there's a lion that's starting to come out of to devour and everybody's going to cheer while the lion chases them around and finally kills all of them. A lion is, is the intimidation. And throughout the Bible, what we see every time we hear about a lion, that's why he says he is as a roaring lion because it brings to us intimidation. You don't even have to see it, just hear it. You don't even have to see it, just, just the thought of it, of what it can do. That was used by Rome in their time to just make people live right. Hey, if you don't act right, you're going to get eaten by a lion. And that was enough for people who saw it in their time to say, you don't want that. You don't, you don't want that. In fact, go with me to 1 Peter 5 and 8. 1 Peter 5 and 8. Listen to what it says. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Go to Nehemiah 6 and 9. Let me show you some stories through the Bible that will help you kind of relate this. I, if I had three hours, we would just have a wonderful time together. And that's what Adriana was telling me before I was giving her the scriptures. I said, she said, whew, it's a lot. I said, I said, this is only a part of what I want to deal with. But Nehemiah says this, for they were all trying to make us what? Afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in their work and it will not be done. Now, therefore, oh God, strengthen my hands. In other words, it's not the fact that, that fear takes place. He said, when they spoke, we were what? Afraid. That's normal. He said, but what did I do with it? I said, God, now strengthen my hands. Why? Because the opposite that I need to do is to be now intimidated by it and to be froze by it. What I need is in the moment of fear, I need to take courage and move forward. And Nehemiah is one of those people we look at and we say, wow, what an incredible leader. Why? Not because he wasn't afraid. Not because he stood there like he had no problems. It's because in the middle of his fear, in the middle of his trials, he says, God, give me courage and strength to be able to do what I'm supposed to do. Look at it at, at verse 10. Afterward, I came to the house of, of Shema, the son of Delal, and the son of Metabel, and who, who was the secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God. 
within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple. Why? For they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. In our day and time, he would have said, let's call a security system. And let's get a real good security system with a bunch of cameras because you know bad stuff is on its way. Listen to what he says. And I said, should, should such a man as I? Wow. Should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I would go into the temple to save my life? I will not go in. What's he doing? He said, listen, yeah, it is fearful that people are wanting to take my life. But the last thing I'm doing is going to hide out in another building and hope that nobody gets me. The last thing I'm going to do is to allow intimidation See, throughout the Bible, that's what you hear over and over and over. Go to verse 13. I'll show it to you again. For this reason, he was hired. In other words, the person who came and told him, let's hide, was hired by his enemies. Why? That I should be afraid. When people are speaking things to you, when people are pushing you, it's the whole purpose is that they can set up in your life a feeling of, of fear. And fear is where the enemy sets up his intimidation. He can't set it up where faith is, but he can set it up where fear is. And always in your life, this is the way it will be. So that they might have cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. Go to Proverbs 22 and 13. The lazy man says, there's a what? There's a lion outside. The lazy man, in other words, the person who, who pulls back and somebody look at him and say, man, you need to be doing, oh, no, 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 no. You don't need to be doing anything right now. It's, it, bad stuff will happen. You do stuff right now. The lazy man says there's a lion outside, so therefore I'm not going out to do anything. No sense in doing anything. In fact, it even gets worse than that. Go to the next scripture. I'll show you in Proverbs 26 and 13 says, the lazy man says, there's a lion in the, in the road or in the streets. A fierce lion is in the... Now, has anybody ever seen lions hide in the streets? Or, or hide in the middle of the road? What he's saying here is, listen, the more lazy, the more fearful, the more, the more intimidated you become the crazier your excuse sounds. The more intimidated you become, just like me. I'm standing here on the beach. There's cool water, a whole ocean of cool water. People are jumping around, hundreds of people around me, splashing in water. And I'm standing there saying, oh, man, I'm going to die. He's not going to pick that, that person. He's not going to eat that one. He's going to swim up and get me. Because I'm chunky and it's just a quick meal. He's not going to go for the skinny folks. He's going to see me. 
So what happens is the lazy person says, he's waiting for me. The lazy person says, it's going to get me. And the lazy person pulls back that much more and does that much less. In other words, well, you know, our kids ain't going to listen, they ain't going to do right anyway, ain't no sense in trying. You know what, ain't no sense in me working hard at that job anyway, I ain't never going to get the promotion, somebody else will. The lazy person already pulls back, even though there's not even a good excuse. And the enemy says, I use this intimidation to stop people every day. But what we're supposed to do is when we see intimidation, we're supposed to realize it is one of our greatest opportunities. Go with me to Judges 14 and verse 5. Here's what it says. So Samson went down to Timnah uh, with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. This lion came out. And Samson grabs the lion, and instead of grabbing his mom and dad and saying, let's run, he grabs the lion and rends the lion, kills the lion. Now go to the next verse on us, uh, verse 14, verse 8. Listen to what it says. After some time when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion he had killed. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He said, the thing that I wasn't afraid of, the thing that I wasn't fearful of, is now the thing that I get enjoyment out of. Because I was able to overcome that, I wish I had time to show you Nathan and Caitlin sitting on the front of the boat of us riding around and when we took the boat down there sometimes and 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 us playing ball in the, in the water, we'd get out waist deep and have that bouncy ball that bounces across. Me and Caitlin would take on Nathan and Taylor standing out in the ocean and do it. And I've got all these great memories now because out of the carcass of what was my fear came my joy, came my good memories. See, the thing that you're willing to say, I'm not going to let fear stop me. In fact, me and Elise, one of the things we we hope to get to do one day, don't know if we ever will, is that we want to do a cage dive with great white sharks. Cage dive. Not open water. Cage. Good cage. You're like, you're crazy. No, no, I'm the person that years ago didn't even want to get in the water. Now the thing that scared me the most is the thing that intrigues me the most. And I've turned the thing that was my enemy into my honey. Let me show it to you a different way. Go to Daniel 6, Daniel 6, verse 16. So the king gave a command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. See, in in their time, too, just like Rome, Persia had decided that, you know what, the greatest way to scare people and make them not want to act up? is to tell them, if you act up, we're going to throw you into the lion's den. We're going to just sit here and look over the top and watch the lions chew you up. And so that was the threat to Daniel. If you don't bow, if you quit, don't quit praying to God, if you don't quit praying to other gods other than me, then I'm going to throw you in the lion's den. And, and guess what? That's what happened. And so Daniel's thrown in, and, but the king spoke and saying to Daniel, 
your God whom you serve continually, he will. The king is, is like, okay, I can't stop the lions, but Daniel, because you're moving forward, you're, you're not bowing, you're not stopping. I am right here with you. I believe that your God will save you. Go to verse 19. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came, next verse, when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually. I love that. It is that mindset of not being the fact of being afraid. I believe with all my heart, Daniel had no desire to be dropped in a lion's den. I believe when he heard them roaring down there and thought, it's like, okay, this may be it. But yet he moved forward. And because of that, this king is noticing that, Daniel, you are serving this God continually. In good times, in bad. In good seasons, and in bad. You are serving this God continually. Has he been able to save you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Can you imagine hearing that voice come back up from that pit? And it's not like, hey, get me out of here. It's, it's like, don't worry, king. You're okay. It's, it's all right. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. That's the best time to give you testimony is when you have overcome the fear of something, the intimidation of something, now you have the right to speak about something. Listen to what verse twenty. Three says, now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no injury what, whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Now listen to what happens up. The very thing that, that he needs to happen, the very thing that needs to take place that God understood was, is that you need to get rid of some of these enemies around you, Daniel. And there's a good way to get rid of these enemies, Daniel. Let me show you. You go through the lion's den, and when you come out, something good's fixing to happen. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came. God says, Samson, from the lion you got... Honey, Daniel, from the lion, you got freedom. Listen, I'm not telling you that what you need to face and what you need to go against is not difficult. I'm not telling you it doesn't even make you scared. I'm not telling you it isn't hard. What I'm telling you is, is that God has put it in front of you, this fear, this, this thing, and the enemy is saying, yes, this fear is telling you don't touch it. But God is saying this fear is telling you push forward. Because when you push forward and don't allow intimidation to stop you, then I'm able to take the thing that is roaring at you, the thing that's trying to kill you, and I'm going to turn it into your blessing. It's just the way it works. 
So that thing the enemy said, well, I just don't know what, I just ain't going to talk to him no more. I'm just, I'm just giving up. I'm just through. I'm just, I'm just finished. I'm just, I'm just going to change jobs. I'm just, no, why don't you stand up and, and don't worry about the roaring of the lion. Don't worry about the intimidation and just say, you know what? I'm going to do what God called me to do and I'm going to do it the way God called me to do it. And I'm just going to keep walking and God will have to handle the big business. If you could get that in your spirit, listen, I love this. Uh, I love baseball and, and the other day, I had to uh, go to one of the games, the baseball games. I, I get real emotional. Tim Lott comes out when I'm at ball games and stuff. And I, I, it's the one time I get to be Tim. And, and, and it's because there's one person there that we can legally yell at. We, you can call him an idiot. You can say he's blind. You can tell him he's lost his mind. You can say anything. It's just like he is, he is back there, and if he's not doing it the way you want to do it, you get the right to intimidate him. If he's not calling strikes the way you think, oh, what's wrong with you? You're blind. You're really, oh, you better go the same way. You got to do this. Guy. I have a ball. That's all I can say. It's the funnest. It is, it is fun as can be just sitting there yelling at that umpire. And then somebody get, you know, saying something about somebody on the other side. I'm like, don't cross that. No, 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 we don't talk about other people. We can legally yell at this guy. We have the right. And so one writer put it this way, and I was just looking at this, and I thought about it. And he says, do you ever feel intimidated? Marty Springstead, supervisor of American League umpires, said he will never forget his first assignment before the plate. It was 1966, the game was at Washington, and Frank Howard was playing for the Senators. And on the first pitch of, the, of this monstrous batter, this guy's like huge. If you ever see pictures of Frank Howard, he's a big dude. And the first pitch, he says, he called a knee-high fastball for a strike. So you hear him. He's back there. Strike! One. When he did, Howard turned around and yelled at him. Get something straight, Buster. I don't know where you came from or how you got to the major leagues, but they don't call that pitch on me a strike. Understand? The next pitch was at the same spot. And Springstead yelled, Two! Howard turned around and said, too what? He said, too low. Much too low. I love that. See, you have the right to intimidate the umpire. He is a human. And he is, he is fractured mentally. And so you have the right to make him see it your way. The enemy looks at you the same way. And he looks at you and he says, when you say, I believe. And he turns around and says, you believe what? You believe what? What is it you believe? Go ahead. While I'm standing here intimidating you, tell me what you believe. Go, go with me to 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. And let me show you how intimidation works. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. I want to show you four sources that Peter, who in their time dealt with intimidation just like we do. They probably didn't invite as much of it in their life as we do through all our media. 
But they, they, they had to deal with intimidation just like everyone else. And here's what Peter says, the four sources that he talks about. Let me read this first. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor the trouble. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense for everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing good. In other words, to what? What is it you believe? And Peter looks at them and says, let me give you four specific ways in which you are the sources of intimidation come at you. Number one, verse 13, if we go back to that one. We're intimidated by high standards in our life. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? We, we, we try to just brush it off. We're intimidated by the act of doing good. In my life, it, I, I, I have to face intimidation. I'm going to tell you, some of the hardest intimidation that I have to deal with as a minister is just declaring good. In other words, in my life, I waited 20, almost 25 years as a virgin, to marry my wife. And you would think when I'm talking to people like, well, I shouldn't say that because they have this lifestyle. And they have... No. Peter said, listen to me. Don't be intimidated by your standard. Don't be intimidated that my kids have never heard one cuss word ever come out of my mouth. Think about that. My kids have never heard one cuss word ever come out of my mouth. Hopefully my life and my standard of living, my kids will look at it and say, whew. I've never cheated on my wife. I have never, after all these years, there's a standard. Now, don't get me wrong. You can be intimidated by a high standard. You can be intimidated by the fact that, oh, man, I know what I need to do. Let's just, let's just, what is it you believe? Well, I, I just believe, you know, everybody sins a little all the time and we just all just have to just excuse each other. Really? Is that what you believe now? See, you can look at your, look at lives and you can look at yours and you can say, there's a standard I need to be at. There's a standard that I need to be at. Not because I'm trying to win salvation, no. It's because of salvation. Because I'm in love with God and Christ more than I am anything else and because of it. And he who, is, who will harm you if you become followers and you do good. He said the first level of intimidation comes from the fact of we're going to in our life have people that are going to make fun of us, laugh at us. I, I was called everything from gay when I was going through school because I wouldn't do the stuff everybody else would do. And, and, and it was intimidation every step of the way. 
The same people came up to me years later and said, you did it right, man. I'm thinking, well, you didn't say that when I was in school. So in your life, don't be ashamed of your standards. Don't let the world laugh at you because of your standards. Learn to walk away from those whose standards don't meet yours. Learn the ability. I had to learn the ability to walk away from those that just like were going to keep pressuring me to be like them because it made them feel better if we were all just messed up together. In fact, Proverbs spends a lot of time talking about the reason people want you to do the stuff they want you to do is because it makes them feel better about their own life. Not because they think it's any good. It's just because it makes them feel better. If I'm messed up and you're messed up, then I don't feel guilty about it. But if you're living right and I'm not, that puts a lot of pressure on them. They are intimidating me. Number two. We, we get intimidated, go to verse 14, we get intimidated by persecution then. Because if you live a standard, here's the one thing that's coming next. You're going to get persecuted for it. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Don't worry about the fact that people criticize you or ridicule you or they say things uh, it's not that fear isn't real. It's just the fact that their threats do not have the power that they act like they have. Matthew 10 and 28, and we don't have to go there, but let me read this. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both your soul and body in hell. I don't worry about what other people think. I don't spend a whole lot of time worried about what other people say. It really doesn't move me or bother me any. If you say, I'm quitting, whoop-de-doo. I'm not. That's all I got to say. I'm not. If you're going to eat chicken wings with me, you may be a quitter. You may get halfway through and I'm finishing. That's why I don't like buffets because it's never an end. I had one this week and those are, you can't beat those things. I've tried. You can't beat a buffet. They just keep bringing stuff out. Don't allow intimidation to kill you through persecution. It's normal. Don't be intimidated by the questions. Go to verse 15. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and See, most of you, the problem is the reason you get intimidated is because you haven't spent enough time to determine exactly why you do what you do. Why do you live the way you live? Why do you talk the way you talk? Why do you live, act the way you act? Because, because when somebody's going to intimidate you, they're going to come at you with, well, I don't see why you, you don't do that. I don't see why you can't go do it. That's when you smile and say, I'm glad you said something stupid like that. Let me correct your ignorance and just go into them like a bulldog. And it won't happen but about once or twice. It's amazing to me how many people get phone calls about stuff going on and how many people get questions about I don't get nearly as many questions as y'all. So-and-so was talking to me about stuff the other day, and I'm like, really? Did you tell them this? this? Well, I didn't want to. I'm like, 
You could have ended that conversation in three minutes. Why? Because be ready to give a defense for what it is you believe. Don't let someone keep intimidating you through crazy talk and crazy theology. Number four, not only are we intimidated by questions, we're intimidated finally by slander. Verse 16 and 17, listen to what it says. Having a good conscience then, so, so I, I, I've, I've spoken what I believe, I'm standing for what I believe, I've defended what I believe. Do you know what's coming next? Slander. Now this is a tricky one. This is a tricky one. Listen, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who defile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing... Listen to me. Let me give you some... When there is a rumor, deal with it. You you can go at both barrels at a rumor and just say, let me give you the facts. That is not true. Okay. When someone slanders you, You have to be quiet. It's a much more difficult situation. I can deal with rumors, no problem. A rumor like, like you know, you know, at all seasons they they say they check your W twos every year. Okay, that's a rumor, and it don't take but ten seconds to say, we don't do that. I have no idea where where. Your W-2 even is. In fact, I don't even know what a W-2 really is myself. And Gene and Lise can vouch for that. I have no idea. So I'm not checking it because I couldn't read it if I saw it. So that's a rumor. Well, you know, Pastor Lott, he, he, he does this, 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 and this. Okay, when somebody slanders me, all Pastor Lott wants is this, 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 all he wants. Okay, what do you do? Nothing. The only thing that will kill slander is time. I know you want to attack it. I'm going to go tell them what I, I'm going to tell you what you do. You create a problem. There, when it's slander, you just be quiet and you keep living your life. Because time will be what convinces that time will be what proves your value or your character or your. There's some things that only time can answer. Okay, let me see if I can show it to you this way. There's three, three ways that intimidation happens in your life. Number one, intimidation happens, number one, through curse words. Curse words. These are words that people speak over your life, outside, who, who speak into your life. Maybe people of influence. Maybe it's a boss that you've got. And that boss looks at you and, and just says, picks it about you to people and makes fun of you, whatever it is, whatever they may do, whatever may be going on. Maybe, maybe it's your, it's somebody in your family and they always say, well, I knew your daddy and I know how you're going to be. And I, whatever it is, there's people in your life. You know what I'm talking about? Who speak over your life and people you wish would say positive things because they really mean something to you. It, it may be your mom, your dad, 
You know, you don't want your mom and your dad looking at, well, son, you were just a mistake. We really didn't mean to. That's not what you want to hear from your mom and dad. And so in life, the first way intimidation enters into your life is curse words where people have spoken. and, And then when those curse words set up in your heart and they set up in your life, and then the enemy uses that intimidation to remind you of things you've done in your past, maybe you've, let's just say, your your mom, your dad, your uncle, your ex-bosses or whatever always said about, I'm going to tell you what, if that boy didn't have his head screwed on, he'd lose it. He can't keep two, two thoughts straight in his head any time. Okay, they say stuff like that. Well, now all of a sudden, you misplace your keys in your house. Can't find your keys. Not only have now you heard curse words, but now, number two, you begin to speak curse words over yourself. Number one is where curse words are spoken over you. The second way it enters into your life is when you begin to speak them over your own life. So now I can't find my keys. I'm walking around the living room like, I'll tell you what, I'd lose my head if it wasn't screwed on. Where'd you hear that? Man, I tell you, I, I'm, I, I got to be the dumbest person in the world. I'm telling you what, I, I, I lose everything. I, I, I can't keep nothing straight. Where'd that come from? Come from outside speaking, but now all of a sudden I'm, I'm speaking it over my own life. And now I'm speaking it over myself. You have to stop. Listen to me. You have to stop the negative You have to change the perception of yourself. There's, there's things I say that, that I say them jokingly, but I say them, if I say, man, I know I'm good looking, or I say, listen, I don't need you to tell me I'm good looking. Don't need it. I'm going to say it over myself. Otherwise, then I got to chase around you all the time and say, well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I'm like, well, that's ugly. (gasps) Really? I think it looks good. Then why'd you ask me? Yeah. See, if you you listen to too much out talk, then what happens is it becomes self-talk. And when through your own self-perception you begin to speak, you got to stop with the negative. In fact, there's some scriptures. John 1 and 12 says this. Just, just saying things over yourself. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life that, which God has promised to those who... All right. So first off, I know I'm blessed because I ain't quitting. I know my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I got a crown of life waiting for me. I may lose my car keys today, but I ain't losing my crown. See, how do you see life? Go with me to Romans 8 and 11. Here's what it says. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give your life, your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So I have a hard time getting real sad at funerals a lot of times. I know it's it's horrible. I'm just sitting there having, talking, people and having... And, 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 and they're like, I'm like, I just don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to you. I'm going to go talk to them. What's going on? What's been happening? What's, you know, what's wrong? Well, because 
I believe that I'm not going to lose that person. I believe the next time I see them, they won't have the problems they had. They won't have the sickness they had. They're going to have a new body. They're going to have a new life. See, I, I, I don't sit and listen to one person speak. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, I just sit there and watch them suffer for so long. I don't want to hear all that junk. You just don't care. No, I cared. I sat there with you. I cried with you. We went and endured it. I was at the hospital. I went through all of it, but it's, that's done. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life worried about, well, you know, my aunt died of this and my great-grandma died of this and now, I'm, you know, I'm probably going to die of it. I'm not going to live life like that. I believe there's a God who controls my body. And he's got a time limit on my body at my time. And even if it dies one day, he's got a time limit of when it's coming back. See, I want you to learn, you've got to speak over your own life. The second part of this is this. The second secret to having learned this self-speaking is simply that you've got to like yourself. Look at, the, look at the person beside you and just ask, do you like yourself? No, no, I'm not, I'm not talking about liking where you're at or liking your income. I'm talking about do you like yourself? I'll tell you how you find out real quick. This week, I'm going to give you, a, I'm gonna give you a, a, some, some work to do. Here's what you do. This week... Don't ask anybody how they're doing. Don't ask nobody how they're doing. Walk up to them and just just look at them and just say, how you feeling? Feeling good? Good. See, because most people are asking you how they're doing. That's what we do. How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. But how are you feeling? I don't know. Because how do you feel about yourself? Do you like yourself? Do you like where you're at? Or do you need somebody to do something, somebody to fix something, somebody to give you something? Is there something you're needing to be happy with yourself? Number three, part of this the third secret to, to learn is that God has given, stop measuring what God has given you as talents versus what He's given others as talents. I'm never going to be like a lot of these ministers. I'm never going to be polished and, and I'm never going to pronounce all the names right. I'm never going to get, I'm just, that's, I'm sorry. That used to frustrate me. I'd listen to CDs and try to get the names right and then get up here. And One thing I'm horrible at is names. I can't even pronounce regular names. And so I, when you pull Bible names up on the screen, I'm like, well, I'm way over the deep end now. I do better if I just say it, and Bob, and Leroy, and Joe. And jo- <laughs> give them a name. Just give them a name. Yeah. They're not going to get mad at you. And so in your life, learn to be able to realize your talents are different. I've got my shorts on. I'm working in buildings. I'm looking. And and I have to learn to like myself and realize that's who I am. And and every now and then I get a glimpse that it's okay. We had a couple of our people that was at a minister's thing this few weeks ago, and and they were there, and one of the teachers there asked, what church do you go to? And and they said, well, we go to all seasons, and, 
and immediately they said, oh, that's one of my mentors. And I was like, what? The short wearing, hair usually messed up, got, I mean, I don't even go into hardly go into a restaurant, you know, because I look so bad most of the days when I'm working and, and Yeah, I'm your mentor? Yeah. Why? Because until you learn it, yeah, you have gifts that others don't have. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned in this was taught to me years ago about a pastor who had a chance to take up the offering at a big conference. And he was just like me. He was just, just an old boy. No great education, nothing. Just an old boy. He got up on the stage and, and took up the offering, and immediately after, you know, he'd done a pretty good job and just got through it. You know, he's like, you know, he couldn't speak the Greek like those other guys on the stage. He could, and they told him, and said, hey, you know, we're all going to lunch and everything. Come ride with us and everything. And they just want to hear more about it, you know. And he's, he's intimidated because he's, he's riding with these guys that are big-time preachers, thousand-person churches. And, and as they're going along the car, engine light comes on and starts sputtering, and they... They pull over and hear these, and this was way before cell phones or anything. They're on the side of the interstate. All these big $400 suits. And they're like, what do you do? What just so happens, he, he's a mechanic. So he tells one of the guys here, we're going to cut this bottle. We'll go down there in that ditch and get some water. And he duct tapes some hoses and gets the water line fixed and gets them back to going. And when they get back in the car, everybody has a different appreciation for him. Because he could do what others couldn't. And the hardest thing in life is to realize that there will always be moments that you can do what others can't. Because God has given you gifts that others don't have. Don't always look and say, I want to be like that person. I need to be like... Don't. Because you're fine just the way you are. You can, you can minister to the people you need to minister to in the room. You need to minister and you can be the person God called you to be. You've got to learn to like yourself. You've got to learn that your gifts are enough. You've got to learn it's okay to be who you are as you're following Christ. Number, number three in this is that the third way intimidation comes about is through feeling threatened. I don't have time to deal with all this story, but in 1 Kings in 18 and 19, deals with the story of Elijah. And Elijah has this incredible moment. He has this incredible time where, wow, I called fire down from heaven. I, 850 prophets of Baal are killed. I mean, it is an incredible moment. Israel looks like it's turning back to God. And it's, it is, man, he has used his gifts and it seems like everything is going to go all right. Go to chapter 19 and verses 3 through 4 with me. And, and, and when he saw that, what did he see? Well, go, go to verse 1 and 2. Can you go back there with me? And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. I love that. Using his gifts, his calling, everything he had done, he told her. Also how he had executed all the prophets with a sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, 
so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And we know that he runs and finds a brook and he hides out and he, he goes through this long process of, of hiding. Let me tell you what happens when fear becomes intimidation. I can be afraid. You can be afraid. It's okay. But listen to me. Don't ever let it become intimidation because the moment it does, it changes the course of your life. Why, Brother Lot? Number one, he was now out of the authority of what God called him to do. The moment he ran, the moment he said, I quit, he stepped out of the authority of what God had given him to finish. I, I, I have to deal with that all the time because I would love to resign as pastor. I'd love to become a Sunday school teacher. I'd love to be the best Remember y'all got, I, I love to do all that kind of stuff. And God says, Tim, the day you step out of the authority that I've given you, your life changes. I know, I know. All of us, wish, I wish somebody else could do that. I wish somebody else. If, if you don't have that heart, then, then and you ain't never lived where you're way over your skis. If you live way over your skis most of the time, you're always looking for the exit ramp. You're always looking. And God says, there isn't one. I'm trusting you to just hang on to me. I'm trusting you. And that's what he was doing with Elijah. Elijah's way over his skis. We love to hear the story. We love, boy, Elijah called fire down. Let me tell you something. He has no reputation. He has no, no heritage. He's got no name. He's just come out of nowhere and decides, I'm going to be the man. And then all of a sudden, the day he decides, I don't want to be the man no more, God says, I can't use you now. As long as you're doing what I'm asking you to do, I can use you. But it's hard. Yes, it is, but I need you to stay in that place. The first thing that happens is he loses his authority. Number two, the second consequence is that the spiritual gift, if it isn't used, if it isn't used, it'll be taken away. It'll be given to someone else. 1 Kings 19, verses 15 and 17. Listen to what it says. Then the Lord said, Go return the way of the wilderness to Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazel the king over Syria. Also anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi, the king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat, of Abel, uh, Melah, to, to ha he shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha would kill. Guess who isn't mentioned in the... Elijah. Because you're going to step out of your authority and you're not going to do, you also, you also have to pass on what you can do to someone else. I've got to now use someone else to finish what I wanted you to finish. And Elijah has to anoint the one who's going to do the job that he was supposed to have gotten done. You lose your anointing. You'll lose the place. You'll lose the gift that God has given you, and he'll give it to someone else to do it. Thirdly, there may be consequences for others due to your intimidation. See, what the enemy loves more than anything else is, I think about it many times, that if, 
And it breaks my heart probably more than anything else is when I see a family who's stuck in a rut of, of a situation. Maybe they've always, every person in their family's always gotten divorced or always broken up. or all, Maybe that's been their reputation as a family for generations. And all of a sudden, I marry a couple and, I'm, and they're like, Brother Lott, this is the one thing we want to do. We want to, we want to be the first in our family that, that lasts that 40 years, that be an example to our... But if you don't do it, not only do you lose your anointing, but listen, not only do you cause it, but now you've passed on to another generation. And now that intimidation now is going to carry on further than it should have. See, Elijah didn't realize this. Go with me to Mark 3 and 27. Mark 3 and 27. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. What happened to Elijah? Why did Elijah fail? That's a good question. Why did Elijah fail? Well, the answer is simple. Elijah thought Ahab was the problem. Elijah thought Ahab was the one pulling the strings. But Ahab wasn't a strong man. We know this because when Naboth's vineyard, he can't get it. What does he do? He goes to bed. He goes, lays up in the bed, and his wife says, don't you worry, hon, I'll take it. She gets Naboth killed. When, when, when all the prophets are killed, and Ahab comes back home and like, ooh, Elijah just messed up my world. What does Jezebel do? She sends a letter and says, I'll kill you before tomorrow. See, you can't plunder a strong man's house until you first bind the strong man. Elijah's problem was he didn't discern who the strong man was. That's why later Jehu, when he gets to the place and he looks up at that second floor window and those eunuchs are up there with Jezebel, he gives them one word. He said, who's on the Lord's side? And they stick their heads out. And he said, then throw that old witch out. We ain't having a conference. We ain't having a debate. And the Bible says she fell on her neck. By the time they were through eating food off her table, they wasn't left and left but her head and her hands and her feet. Dogs had done eat the rest. They said, I guess we need to bury the old witch. See, Elijah never truly realized I can't be intimidated by that. And until you face it, then somebody eventually will have to face it in your family. They'll have to face it in your generation. If you don't do it, you say, boy, it seems like nerve problems always been in my family. Then you're the one that conquers it. Then you conquer it. Then you don't let fear turn into intimidation. You beat it. I don't care what it is. For me, it may be sharks. For me, it may be something totally different. For you, it's something, but to you, it's just as real, and it's just as big, and it's just as powerful, and you have to overcome it. If you don't, then the enemy will intimidate you with it all of your life. He don't have any power. He's a, like a roaring lion. But as long as every time he roars, you get scared and back up, that's all he needs. We serve the true lion. The Bible says in Revelations that there was one who stepped forth. He was a lamb, but he also was the lion of Judah. He was the one who has true power. 
And my life and your life is to illustrate every single day that that one that keeps roaring out there is just roaring, but he can't do anything. The one that I serve, like Daniel, like Samson, like Peter, like Paul, that's the one who actually has authority. That's the lion that I'm following. Will you stand? This morning, what I need from you more than anything else is I need you to make a decision that in the face of the fear, in the face of the roaring, in the face of this fake lion, this lion that doesn't have any power but wants my life to be lived in intimidation, you have to decide this morning that I'm going to move forward. That I'm going to move forward even though he roars. I don't care what the doctor says, I'm moving forward. I don't care what it looks like on the outside, I'm moving forward. I don't care what this crazy world and all the diseases and everything that's going on, I'm not backing up, I'm moving forward. Why do I have to make that decision first, Brother Lot? Because until God can trust you with that, He can't trust you with the thing that He's going to tell you. He can't allow the spirit that he put in you to guide and lead you if you're always going to pull back. The lazy man says there's a lion in the streets. The lazy man says there's a lion that's going to get me. The child of God says, no. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. If you're in here today, I don't know what lion's been roaring. I don't know. I just know that God said, Tim, we start here. Before we talk about all the spiritual side, we start here. And we remind ourselves that this lion is not going to overcome our life. The lion of our past, the lion of what others said, the lion of what we kept saying to ourselves, this lion that keeps roaring. We declare today he does not have power. He does not have power. As they sing this morning, these altars are open. Starting next week, I'll be working altars. I'll be praying for people. We'll take it to the next place. But one last time, this is the last altar call this way. I just want you to know that you have to step forward and say, I'm tired of the lion trying to intimidate me in my life, that I'm going to lose my life and I'm going to lose my marriage. I'm going to lose my kids. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my future. I'm going to lose something's going to get me. Even though I can't see it, it's going to get me. You finally have to decide that, God, I'm not worried about it. The only thing I fear anymore worried about anymore is you that's you this morning and these altars are open Father bless them give them courage give them courage the opposite of that fear is a courage give them courage to draw a line and say I'm not living here intimidated any longer in Jesus name Amen and amen.